0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. And it is still April 2020. We are now more than a month into living in the new normal that is a world affected by a COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And Maybe you, like I, still looking to the Word of God to try to understand this and and seek encouragement and help as we just try to make sense out of what's going on and what is God's role in that. Well, today um, I'm going to be uh, giving the mic over to one of my brothers and friends. His name is Breck Wheelock. You may remember Breck was with us a couple of weeks ago as we had a panel discussion about COVID-19. Well, Breck is not only a member of our church, he's a medical professional, but he's also just a a wonderfully gifted man. And um, so he recorded a podcast for another channel, and he decided to share it here. And and I thought it was really helpful, I thought it was encouraging, and I thought you might appreciate it as well. So Breck is going to talk to us about Psalm 91, and he's going to talk to us about what Charles Spurgeon had to say about Psalm 91 from Spurgeon's book, *The Treasury of David*. Now, I don't know if you've ever read anything by Spurgeon, but immensely helpful. But written several hundred years ago, so some of the language might be a little more difficult. Uh, sometimes he might say things you may not want to, you may not put in in proper perspective. But Breck does a really good job of explaining not only um, how the the psalm is explained through the Treasury of David, but he also helps us to understand a little bit of the context. I found what he had to say tremendously helpful. I trust that you will as well. And so without further ado, here's Breck.
1: Hello out there to whoever is listening. My name is Breck Wheelock. It's April 1st, 2020, and as of this moment, there are just under one million coronavirus cases that have been reported worldwide, with nearly 50,000 deaths worldwide as a result. As Christians, how are we to process all of this? Where do we turn for our direction and our guidance? Whom do we trust for wisdom and counsel? Hopefully, the answer to these types of questions is obvious. We put our trust in God, and we look to His word to give us direction and guidance. And along those lines, I have found the 91st Psalm to be incredibly helpful and comforting when it comes to the extraordinary times in which we all currently find ourselves in. I would like to read this Psalm to you, and then read some lengthy passages from Volume 2 of Charles Spurgeon's The Treasury of David. It's my hope that you will be strengthened and encouraged by Psalm 91 and from the insights that are offered by Charles Spurgeon. I have found his comments to be very profitable for my soul, and I trust that you will find the same. And with that, let's begin by reading Psalm 91. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and My fortress, My God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Having read from Psalm 91, let's now consider some of the commentary on Psalm 91 from Charles Spurgeon. In his introductory comments on Psalm 91, Spurgeon notes that in the whole collection of the Psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm than this one. Its tone is elevated and sustained throughout. Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. And then he says, a German physician was wont to speak of it as the best preservative in times of cholera. And in truth, it is a heavenly medicine against plague and pest. He who can live in its spirit will be fearless. Virgin then goes on to give his exposition of Psalm 91. We will not consider all of his comments. If you would like to read all that Virgin has to say on Psalm 91, his comments, his treasury of David is, um, is available online. Let's begin with verse 1. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Spurgeon writes, The blessings here promised are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks towards the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat, yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. They run to it at times and enjoy occasional approaches, but they do not habitually reside in the mysterious presence. Those who through rich grace obtain unusual and continuous communion with God so as to abide in Christ and Christ in them become possessors of rare and special benefits which are missed by those who follow only afar off. Into the secret place those only come who know the love of God in Christ Jesus and those only dwell there to whom to live is Christ. They know what it is to be raised up together and to be made to sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. And of them it is truly said that their conversation is in heaven. Special grace, like theirs, brings with it special immunity. Outer court worshipers little know what belongs to the inner sanctuary, or surely they would press on until the place of nearness and divine familiarity became theirs. Those who are the Lord's constant guests shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The omnipotent Lord will shield all those who dwell with him. They shall remain under his care as guests under the protection of their host. Those who commune with God are safe with him. No evil can reach them, for the outstretched wings of his power and love cover them from all harm. This protection is constant. They abide under it. And it is all sufficient, for it is the shadow of the Almighty whose omnipotence will surely screen them from all attack. No shelter can be imagined at all comparable to the protection of Jehovah's own shadow. The Almighty himself is where his shadow is, and hence those who dwell in his secret place are shielded by himself. What a shade in the day of harmful heat! What a refuge in the hour of deadly storm! Communion with God is safety. The more closely we cling to our Almighty Father, the more confident may we be. Then in verse 2, which reads, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Spurgeon says, To take up a general truth and make it our own by personal faith is the highest wisdom. It is but poor comfort to say, the Lord is a refuge. But to say that He is my refuge is the essence of comfort in times of trouble. Those who believe should also speak, I will say. For such bold, open confessions honor God, and they lead others to seek that same confidence. Men are apt enough to proclaim their doubts, and even to boast of them. Indeed, there is a party nowadays of the most audacious pretenders to culture and thought, who glory in casting suspicion upon everything. Hence it becomes the duty of all true believers to speak out and testify with a calm courage to their own well-grounded reliance upon their God. Let others say what they will. Be it ours to say of the Lord, He is our refuge. But what we may say we must prove by our actions. We must fly to the Lord for shelter and not to an arm of flesh. The bird flies away to the thicket And the fox hastens to its hole. Every creature uses its refuge in the hour of danger. And even so, in all peril or fear of peril, let us flee unto Jehovah, the eternal protector of his own. Let us, when we are secure in the Lord, rejoice that our position is unassailable, for he is our fortress as well as our refuge. No moat, no drawbridge, no wall, no dungeon could make us so secure as we are when the attributes of the Lord of hosts enclose us. Foes in flesh and foes in ghostly disguise are both denied of their prey when the Lord of hosts stands between us and their fury. Walls cannot keep out the pestilence. The Lord can. He who dwells in an impregnable fortress naturally trusts in it. And shall not he who dwells in God feel himself well at ease and repose his soul in safety? Oh, that we more fully carried out the psalmist's resolve. We have trusted in God. Let us trust him still. He has never failed us. Why should we suspect him now? To trust in man is natural to men of a fallen nature. To trust in God should be just as natural To men of a regenerated nature. I really liked that line. In verse three, Spurgeon continues and says, He who is a spirit can protect us from evil spirits. He who is mysterious can rescue us from mysterious dangers. He who is immortal can redeem us from mortal sickness. There is a deadly pestilence of error. We are safe from that if we dwell in communion with the God of truth. There is a fatal pestilence of sin. We shall not be infected by it if we abide with the thrice holy God. There is also a pestilence of disease and even from that calamity our faith shall win immunity if it be of that high order of faith which abides in God, walks on in calm serenity and ventures all things for duty's sake. Faith, by cheering the heart, keeps the heart from Fear, which in times of pestilence, kills more than the plague itself. Another great line. Again, faith, by cheering the heart, it keeps the heart free from fear, which in times of pestilence, it is often fear that kills more than the plague itself. Faith will not in all cases ward off disease and death, but where the man has faith, as the first verse describes it will assuredly render him immortal where others die. If all the saints are not so sheltered, it is because they have not all such a close abiding with God, and consequently not such confidence in the promise. Such special faith is not given to all, for there are diversities in the measure of faith. It is not of all believers that the psalmist sings, but only of those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High too many among us are weak in faith and, in fact, place more reliance in the medicinal means of physicians than in the Lord and giver of life. And if we die of pestilence as others die, in fear and without hope, it is because we acted like others, those who live in fear and have no hope. The great mercy is that in such a case our deaths are blessed, and it is well with us, for we are forever with the Lord." Pestilence to the saints shall not be the messenger of grim and morbid doom, but the messenger of the eternal bliss of heaven. Virgin is not saying that if we just believe in God and put our faith in him that no plague or pestilence will ever infect us or our household. What Virgin is saying is that we should have a a calmness and a, a peace that surpasses all understanding regardless of whatever pestilence or affliction might befall us. Because even if we were to die, we go to be with the Lord. Skipping down to Spurgeon's comments on verse 6. Again, let's just read verses 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, verse 6, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Commenting on verse 6, Spurgeon, speaking of pestilence, says that pestilence is shrouded in mystery, As to its cause and its cure, it marches on unseen of men, slaying with hidden weapons like an enemy stabbing in the dark. Yet those who dwell in God are not afraid of it. Nothing is more alarming than the assassin's plot, for he may at any moment steal in upon a man and lay him low at a stroke. And such is the plague in the days of its power. None can promise themselves freedom from it for an hour in any place of the infected city. It enters a house men know not how, and its very breath is mortal. Yet those choice souls who dwell in God shall live above fear in the most plague-stricken places. They shall not be afraid of the plagues which walk in the darkness. I really like that line where he says, those choice souls who dwell in God, we dwell in God. He is our shelter in place those choice souls who dwell in God shall live above fear in the most plague-stricken places. They shall not be afraid of the plagues which walk in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. Famine may starve, or bloody war devour. Earthquake may overturn, and tempest may smite. But amidst it all, the man who has sought the mercy seat and is sheltered beneath the wings which overshadow it shall abide in perfect peace. Days of horror and nights of terror, those are for other men. But for the man who fears the Lord above all, his days and nights are spent alike with God, and therefore pass away in sacred quiet. His peace is not a thing of times and seasons, it does not rise and set with the sun, nor does it depend upon the healthiness of the atmosphere or the security of the country. For the man of God... Pestilence has no destroying power, and calamity has no wasting influence. Pestilence walks in darkness, but the man of God dwells in light. Destruction wastes at noonday, but upon the man of God another sun has risen whose beams bring restoration. Remember that the voice which says, Thou shalt not fear, is that of God himself, who hereby pledges his word for the safety of those who abide under his shadow Indeed, not for their safety only, but also for their serenity. Moving down to verse 7. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. Spurgeon says, So terribly made the plague rage among men that the bills of mortality may become very heavy and continue to grow ten times heavier still. Yet those that have the faith that this psalm speaks of shall survive the skid of death. It shall not come near unto you. It shall be so near as to be at your side, and yet not near enough to touch you. Like a fire it shall burn all around, yet shall not the smell of it pass upon you. How true is this of the plague of moral evil, of heresy, and of backsliding. Whole nations are infected, yet the man who communes with God is not affected by the contagion. Here Spurgeon is saying that sometimes entire nations can be infected with moral evil, with heresy, with backsliding. But the men who commune with God regularly, they're not going to be affected. They're not going to be taken in by such moral evil or heresy or backsliding. Spurgeon continues and he says, he holds the truth when falsehood is all the fashion. The man of God will hold to the truth when falsehood is all the fashion. Professors all around him are plague smitten. The church is wasted, the very life of religion decays, but in the same place and time, in fellowship with God, the believer renews his youth, and his soul knows no sickness. And then he continues and he says, In a measure, this is also true even of physical evil. The Lord still puts a difference between Israel and Egypt in the day of his plagues. Moving on to verses 9 and 10, again let's read them. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Before commenting on this, Spurgeon actually offers an anecdote from his own life. Spurgeon says, Before expounding on these verses, I cannot refrain from recording a personal incident illustrating their power to soothe the heart when they are applied by the Holy Spirit. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London for 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by cholera, and my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave. I gave myself up with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick, and was sent for from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. I became weary in body, and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral, when my curiosity led me to read a paper which was put up on a shoemaker's window in the Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in a good bold handwriting these words, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, Girt with Immortality, I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. The psalmist in these verses assures the man who dwells in God that he shall be secure, Though faith claims no merit of its own, yet the Lord rewards it wherever he sees it. He who makes God his refuge shall find him a refuge. He who dwells in God shall find his dwelling protected. We must make the Lord our habitation by choosing him for our trust and rest, and then we shall receive immunity from harm. No evil shall touch us personally, and no stroke of judgment shall assail our household." The dwelling here intended by the original was only a tent, yet the frail covering would prove to be a sufficient shelter from harm of all sorts. It matters little whether our abode be a gypsy's hut or a monarch's palace if the soul has made the most high its habitation. Get into God, and you dwell in all good, and ill is banished far away. It is not because we are perfect or highly esteemed among men that we can hope for shelter in the day of evil but because our refuge is the eternal God and our faith has learned to hide beneath his sheltering wing. It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward of heaven. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him, Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure where others are in peril. He lives where others die. Continuing further down to verse 13, which says that thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, Spurgeon writes, the strongest foe in power and the most mysterious in cunning shall be conquered by the man of God. Not only from stones in the way, but from serpents also shall we be safe. To men who dwell in God, the most evil forces become harmless. The elect of God wear a charmed life and defy the deadliest ills. Their feet come into contact with the worst of foes. Even Satan himself nibbles at their heel. But in Christ Jesus, they have the assured hope of bruising Satan under their feet shortly. The people of God are the true lion kings and serpent tamers. Their dominion over the powers of darkness makes them cry, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy word. Finally, verse 16, With long life will I satisfy him. Spurgeon writes, The man described in this psalm fills out the measure of his days, and whether he dies young or old, he is quite satisfied with life and is content to leave it. He shall rise from life's banquet as a man who has had enough and would not have more even if he could. The full sight of divine grace shall be his closing vision. Not with destruction before him black as night, but with salvation bright as noonday smiling upon him, he shall enter into his rest. Amen. Following Spurgeon's verse-by-verse exposition of Psalm 91, he includes several pages of explanatory notes. And there were a couple of explanatory notes that he includes that I found quite interesting, and I thought that I'd like to share them here at the end. The first explanatory note is with reference to verse 3 of Psalm 91. It comes from White Cross's Anecdotes. And it regards a certain Lord Craven who lived in London when that sad calamity, the plague, was raging. His house was in that part of the town called Craven Buildings. On the growing epidemic of the plague, his lordship, in order to avoid the danger, had resolved to go to his place in the country. His coach and six servants were accordingly at the door. His baggage had been put up and all things in readiness for the journey. As he was walking through his hall with his hat on, his cane under his arm, and putting on his gloves in order to step into his carriage, he overheard his servant saying to another servant, I suppose by my lord's quitting London to avoid the plague, that his god lives in the country and not in town. The poor negro said this in the simplicity of his heart as really believing in a plurality of gods. The speech, however, struck Lord Craven very sensibly and made him pause. My God, thought he, lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will even stay where I am. The ignorance of that Negro has just now preached to me a very useful sermon. Lord, pardon this unbelief and that distrust of thy providence, which made me think of running from thy hand. He immediately ordered his horses to be taken from the coach, and the baggage to be taken in. He continued in London, and was remarkably useful among his sick neighbors, and never caught the infection. The second explanatory note that I'd like to share with you is one that Spurgeon gives at verse 7. This explanatory note comes from A Book of Golden Deeds. And it speaks of a Cardinal Carlo Borromeo, Archbishop of Milan, in 1576. He was the worthiest of all the successors of St. Ambrose. And when he learned that the plague had made its appearance in his city, he went at once to the city. His council of clergy advised him to remain in some healthy part of his diocese till the sickness should have spent itself. But he replied that a bishop, whose duty it is to give his life for his sheep, could not rightly abandon them in time of peril. They owned that to stand by them was the higher course. Well, he said to them, is it not a bishop's duty to choose the higher course? And so back into the town of deadly sickness he went, leading the people to repent and watching over them in their suffering, visiting the hospitals and, by his own example, encouraging his clergy in carrying spiritual consolation to the dying. All the time the plague lasted, which was four months, his exertions were fearless and unwearied. And what was remarkable was that of his whole household, only two died, and they were the two persons who had decided not to go about among the sick. The reason I chose to include these two particular explanatory notes was that I just found the faith of these two men so remarkable and so inspiring, And I think that they really were trying to live out the core message of Psalm 91, that we have faith in God, even above and beyond fear of death. I hope these words from Charles Spurgeon on Psalm 91 have been as helpful for you as they have been for me. With that, may God bless you and keep you, and thank you for listening.
0: Well, Breck, thank you for that. That was helpful and encouraging. I trust that it will continue to bless us and the body as we put our hope in the Lord because we have every reason to. Because in His Word, He has made it clear to us that He is in sovereign control of all things. He is our refuge and strength. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content.